You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Matt here on Vox and Hops, episode number eight. Today, I sit down with my first American guest, Gabe Sieber, the drummer of the Kennedy Vale, and he's a live drummer for Decrepit Birth, Power Glove, The Faceless, to name just a few. He's uh, sort of become the key guy that if you guys need like an extreme drummer to pick up your tunes really fast and is available to jump on a tour for you, well, Gabe Sieber's that guy. He's a super nice dude, he's super professional, and he is one hell of a drummer. We sit down, we talk about... Uh, what it's like uh, filling in for bands uh, that you've been asked to uh, session with. Uh, We talk about uh, his time with The Faceless. We talk about his time with Abbott. We talk about, uh, you know, how he started out uh, learning how to play drums and uh, his early days tracking demos. This is Vox and Hops, episode number eight with Gabe Sieber. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Vox and Hops, and I'm here with Gabe Sieber today. He's here playing drums for Power Glove tonight in Montreal at Fufon Electric. Today we are at the Saint-Buc on Saint-Denis, one of the best micro bars in Montreal. Uh, it has an extremely varied amount of beers to choose from. There are 44 on the, the board that I can see right now. Today we have chosen to drink because he said, uh, I asked Gabe, what kind of beer do you like? He says, I like IPAs, and I saw that they had Boreal du Nord-Est on the, the the board, and I said, well, you're going to have to taste this one. So the Boreal du Nord-Est, the history behind this beer is that Boreal is like one of the biggest micros in Quebec. They're sort of more commercial now, and they put out like, you know, a whole bunch of everyman day beers, you know, like blondes and a dark beer and a white beer. And then the craft beer explosion happened in Quebec and they got into the game, they hired a new brewer and they started making the Boreal du Nord-Est they did a little limited release and at beer fests and then they started releasing them in cans at their factory, people would line up in the rain to come get, buy this beer in minimal batches and then they started doing limited distribution to stores in like chunks you could actually go buy it somewhere you can go buy it somewhere but you had to wait, people were waiting in line there to buy them so it became like a, this like myth and a fable and the first time I actually saw one in a store I was actually excited <laughs> which is well, I just, can see why which is just ridiculous this might be probably the best beer I've had on the tour so far oh cool cheers thanks uh, color for people that don't know Barrios in August it's a nice hazy IPA it's got um, you know it's opaque it's hard to see through uh, smells you know, extremely tropical, fruity, uh, like pineapple-y, mango-y, and it tastes deliciously refreshing, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, it's on, a, on a hot Montreal day like this. It is swelteringly hot. I will um, give people a little bit of context. It's, 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 uh, the heat wave is continuing. It's humid as fuck. And uh, in order to get the podcast uh, sound quality that I would enjoy, we are sitting on uh, the terrace, which is the patio outside, and it's it's very hot. So thank you for putting up with this, Mr. C. <laughs> not, not quite as humid as Ottawa was yesterday. It was, really? It was terrible okay. yesterday. Yeah. So you're, you're on tour right now with Power Glow. Yep. How has We've that been, been going? It's been great. Um, the shows have all been really well. Great turnouts. Last night, I think, was 170. All the Canada shows have been really good. Uh, not a lot of days off. We're doing 37 shows in 40 days. And those three days off were, you know, 12 plus hour drives. The necessity drive days. 
But, yep, so we're, we got Montreal tonight, Quebec tomorrow, and then we're done. And then oh, this is home. the end of the tour. This yep. is over. Okay. Yeah, so we're 35 shows in right now. So to, how did you end up in Power Glove? How did that work out? A mutual friend of ours, uh, Eric, who is now playing drums for Necrogoblicon, but they had contacted him about filling in because Basil of Power Glove is like a CEO of a software company, so he can't leave for six weeks at a time. And management wanted to get them back on the road, see how it would do, what would happen, if Power Glove should be a touring thing again, because they haven't toured since 2012, and I think that was with, like, Dragon Force. Um, so they had contacted Eric about playing drums for the tour. He was doing Warp Tour with Necrogoblicon, so he put me in touch with them. And then from there, they sent over the set list, worked on all the songs, went and rehearsed in Boston for a week, and now here we are at the end of it. Seven what is that like? So basically, you, you told me before that you're from Sacramento, yeah. and now your Power Glove is based out of Boston, yeah, so you had to get yourself there. Yeah, they're based out of Boston. They took care of flights and everything, and had a rehearsal spot set up for us, did Airbnb for a couple days, and then stayed with Basil for a couple days, and then... You have Basil's blessing, yes, to be playing his, yeah. his parts. On yeah, his and he tour. came to a couple of the rehearsals, and we went over parts and fills and all that. I would say the first half of the tour, I played everything verbatim, and then just because I'm a death metaler, I kind of you know here's an slip, extra blast slip beat some here blast and there in for, you your, for your own pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Mario needed bomb blast, so I just had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what your first experience with beer was like? Yeah, I must have been maybe 12 or 13 and my parents drink Budweiser or now they've gone to Bud Light which I'll argue with them any day if I'm going to have a shitty light beer I would go Coors Light over Bud Light but yeah it was probably a Budweiser and I did not like it at all you snuck it or uh no I think they let me try it yeah okay. and aside from that I don't think I really got into beer until a few years later, like, you know, sneak out of the house and drink whiskey at the park with my older brother and his friends and come back throwing up and <laughs> terrible and the, the room smells and everything. All, 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 the, all the good stuff. Yeah, but didn't even, yeah, probably not even until after I was 21 did I, like, really start to enjoy beer and kind of develop more of a taste for it and IPAs and everything. Remember my oldest brother, Dustin, used to drink Sierra Nevada a lot. And I had tried that even after like starting to drink beer here and there. I couldn't really get into the IPA taste, but now it's like that's what I drink all the time. It's just I love to try new IPAs and anytime on tour I always go to the local bars and everything, ask what local IPAs they have and local beers. Try to get some new flavors. Do you have like a brewery or a beer in mind that really just opened when like when when did the your appreciation for craft beer IPAs do you have like an, one that you remember that was like oh this is what I like Um No not specifically and nowadays do you have like a favorite beer at home I do like uh, Stone Brewery they have a lot of good IPAs in Sierra Nevada too I like Sierra Nevada ones um, There's a new one Near Sacramento. I don't remember the name of it. They have really good hazy. Okay, okay. that's the new wave. That's yeah, like, yeah. It's actually on the, the, the way out, this whole hazy wave. We're, we're, we're sort of like, it's like everywhere now, so you know that it's going to be over soon. Yeah. The next thing's going to be brute IPAs. Tell me about you as a kid growing up. 
What kind of a kid were you? How was your life? As a kid, I was much more athletic. I did baseball, basketball, skateboarding. I did BMX racing for some years. Um, I took piano lessons for a few years. That was kind of my, my first experience with playing music. And I think it helped a lot, even just having a couple years of basic piano lessons. Then when I went and picked up a guitar or drums or everything, it just kind of felt to come, felt like it came a little more naturally having any sort of background with music and reading and sheet music and everything. I've never taken piano. I really, it's something that's on my list of things I want to do before I'm an old man and die. Yeah. But uh, I feel like it's the absolute basic thing. I want to, my, my kids, I'm definitely going to start them in piano before anything else. Right. That's interesting that you think that even piano helps for your drumming. Yeah, I just think, uh, I mean, just music in general, having any sort of knowledge and understanding of theory or anything, you can kind of you know, like with piano, there's no, there is, but a lot of classical pieces and everything, they don't play to metronomes. It's kind of, everything's just fluctuating and a lot of dynamic, which I'm still trying to get better about incorporating in drumming, but like, you know, soft parts being played really soft and loud parts being played really loud. As opposed to the death metal, everything perfect all the time <laughs> and super perfect on the click. You're saying that you, you did like uh, a lot of sports and uh, a lot of uh, BMX racing. When when did the transition from drumming and music take over? Did that take over the sports in your life, or was it as soon as I sat behind a drum set, <laughs> everything stopped? Yeah. So I skated a lot. I spent all of high school at the skate park, and then my oldest brother was always a musician. He was making up songs and just joking around and he would always play a piano bass guitar drums he ended up buying a drum set from a yard sale for like a hundred bucks and it sat at my grandma's house and i would always walk to my grandma's house after school because it was near my high school so i'd kind of watch him play and kind of figure things out and then he would leave and then i would go sit behind the kit and try to figure <laughs> things out for myself drums were the last instrument i picked up so i did guitar and i did piano and everything but i knew as soon as i sat behind the drum set like this is what i'm gonna do that's oh, amazing that's just right away you, you knew it the, the feeling yeah it just even though like you know looking back i was like it was terrible like <laughs> playing the worst thing but i had so much fun doing do you remember like what song you actually started with i think the first song i ever actually learned front to back was with my friend Rocky who our first band uh, we used to just do like a bunch of covers in my parents garage and everything but the first song we ever learned together was The Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana okay and then from there it was like we did Kill Switch Engage and Cradle of Filth covers and Exhumed and Carcass Impaled a whole lot of like the gore metal type stuff and that's kind of where I got the start into the death metal realm was with gore metal and then we started writing our own stuff we were called wretched dawn wretched dawn yeah and it was very much carcass worship okay yeah we gotta start somewhere yeah but still even like looking back at those songs i have a couple of them still on my ipod and the recordings are absolute like dog shit it sounds terrible it was we had a, a mac computer in the room and we didn't have any microphones so it's just the computer mic that, no so way we would start to record be like no, it's too close. Put it at the other end of the room, start to record. No, it's too far. We were trying to find this in-between spot to put the computer so the mic would pick it all up. Wow, you can't say you guys didn't try. Yeah. But, yeah, it sounds terrible, but I still can look back and be like, yeah, I'm proud of these songs, you know. It's like, for what?
what it was. We were like 16, 17 at the time. Like, we wrote some really death metal songs. Like, people our age weren't doing that in Sacramento. At the were time. you listening to metal yourself at the time, too? Yeah. Um, again, a lot of like Carcass, Exhumed, and stuff like that. Um, Cannibal Corpse, Rob Zombie, Corn, Slipknot. <laughs> And when was the moment, like, like you sat behind the kid, you knew you wanted, this was for you. Was there always a moment, like, you're like, I'm going to be a touring musician? Not really. Um, I just knew that I wanted to play drums. I didn't have any preconceived thoughts about this is what I'm going to do with my life, and I want to be on tour and travel and everything. It was just, it was just, I want to play drums. But then, I think the first video I ever made was playing... Uh, Slavery in a Deaf Decay by Hour of Penance from Italy. And I think just posting that video online, we played a couple shows with Abysmal Dawn. So Charles got in touch with me at one point when they needed someone to fill in for them. So Abysmal Dawn was my first fill-in gig. And then from there, I guess Decrepa Birth, Matt Sotelo found me or we started talking online. And I think he had just seen videos or, yeah, I don't think we ever played together before that. But, and then from there, it was just started getting more and more calls and everything. So It is crazy. You're sort of like that guy, though. You know, how, how do you feel about this that? This year, I've done five bands. So I've done Beneath from Iceland, Flew Me Out. I did a couple shows with The Faceless. I did Decrepit Birth, The Kennedyville. I'm out with Power Glove now. Um, potentially, I might be back in Canada in December with... Uh, something confidential i can't talk about that now but we'll see if that works out hopefully it does but also at the same time i know i feel like touring canada in december is going to be terrifying it's not something that i would recommend honestly. <laughs> no and that's what i told him like this band contacted me i was like that seems like a bad time to tour canada we, we don't yeah absolutely not how does it feel for the kennedy vale kennedy vale is like your band do you feel like all of the session work is something that's hindering their progress? How do the boys feel about it? I mean, we haven't had to turn down any tours because of my session stuff as of yet. Um, they just did three weeks through Canada with Artspire, and we had a fill-in drummer and a fill-in bass player for that. So I hired Dylan Potts from Rivers of Nile and flew him out. They stayed at the house for a couple days rehearsing and everything. I was going over fills and parts with him. And everything I've seen online um, and how they were talking about it, he killed it and played all the songs very well. So I know there are people that, you know, can step in and help out when I'm helping someone else out, if need be. I was talking to um, Aaron Homa from Annihilator Clitoris last week, and he was uh, saying that it's the importance of a band not being the members. Right. You know, it's the music. It's the music. So it doesn't really matter who's there as long as the music is there. Yeah. Which is interesting. I don't know if you agree with that. I can agree to an extent. Um, like with something like Power Glove. People come to Power Glove shows for the nostalgia of it. People don't care who's playing it. And I didn't think it was going to be this way because when they posted online the drum video I made for Under the Sea and posted about me filling in people were like oh basil's not going to be there and people were like really upset about it and talking shit and everything but i think maybe this entire tour maybe two people have brought it up that that the actual band isn't here i don't think anybody actually knows the face of power glove they're just like video games metal sick i'm there give give uh, the listeners like a rundown what is power glove power glove is a video game based metal band so they do like power metal style covers of songs like X-Men, Pokemon, Power Rangers, Kirby, 
We did Under the Sea. Yeah, it's just a very fun show, and we have a laser light show and everything. So it's, it, and a sound guy with us, he does a great job, so it sounds good, it looks good. It's just a fun, it's a fun show, and it's funny to, like, you see people in Gorguts and Disgorge and Cannibal Corpse t-shirts at these shows, and they just look like the most burly metal-looking dudes, and then you go into Pokemon, and they just melt into seven-year-olds, and they're just screaming Pokemon. And I was gonna, I was, I was gonna ask you to tell, say that story because I read your post about it earlier this week. It's yeah. funny, and it's it's fun, you know, because you you have all these mean metal dudes, but it's not a sea of black every night either. Like it's not your typical death metal show. It like strikes a chord, you know, yeah. the video game. And there's people crowd, that are like D&D crowd. you can tell a lot of these people like aren't into metal, but they're just like, oh, this band does heavy video game songs. And then it, what's one funny thing to me is they're like, I don't know how you play that fast and it's like This is slow. This is slow. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't you know like cryptopsy and decrepit birth and stuff like that. Like I'm this is this is easy. Be, being <laughs> a session player, are you always a fan of the band that you're playing for? So far I have been. Like it's a band that you've known about or you became a fan? Yeah, I haven't done any bands that I didn't know prior to going into it. I would say Beneath was the hardest one because they're just so fucking fast and the parts are really complicated and Mike Heller did the drums on the last record. He was he's the drummer in Malignancy and Fear Factory and just writes the most complicated parts and nothing ever repeats and that last album nothing is in four. Oh yeah. So, so You're I, constantly like, I was trying counting. to figure out how to play these songs and I ended up changing quite a bit of it just because Mike Heller isn't human and I am so I had to adapt to try and you know these guys want to play a show I have to at least be able to get through the songs yeah yeah you don't want to stumble halfway through right so yeah I changed a lot with them but yeah I am a fan of the band and pretty much everyone I've played for yeah. That's you're lucky though That's yeah. really... and I don't know like if if a band I really didn't enjoy asked me to do it I don't I don't know that I would but it's hard to say. I guess it depends on oh, the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> paycheck and the timing. and Yeah. Like this tour, I didn't, when they initially offered it, I didn't think about the dates as how long it was. But I'm like, fuck, that's like seven weeks and plus rehearsal. I'm going to be gone eight weeks. And now I'm like just so ready to go home. But the tour has been great. So I'm happy I did it. And there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of issues on this tour. Not a lot, but uh, my passport, uh, we had an issue with that. So we were playing Colorado Springs. At Sunshine Theater, and I had my wallet and passport in the green room on the corner of a table in the back of the room. And then we load out, show's over, everything's done, we're leaving. I'm driving to a friend's house, Andrew of Inferi, and halfway there, we stopped to get gas and grab some food. And I check my pocket, and my wallet's not there, which means my passport's not there either. I go into like panic mode. I'm calling the venue. Can't do anything that night. It's like already two, three in the morning. So I get a hold of the venue the next day. They're looking around for it. They say they can't find anything. So I go to the bank to try and like cancel my cards or get temporary cards so I can still, you know, survive and eat and drink IPAs on tour. And they can't do anything for me because I don't have an ID. Oh my God. And so I can't do anything about my banking. Go back to his house. We have that day off. So we drive to Tempe. On the way to Tempe, 
or Mesa, we uh, stopped back at the venue just because I would feel better personally looking at the venue. I know exactly where I had it. So we go back there, don't see it, keep going. We go to Mesa, Arizona, play that show. I cancel my passport on the way there because it's gone at that point. And then the next morning, uh, Gabe, the other Gabe, is filling out a guitar. He opens his backpack, and there's my passport and wallet in no his backpack. No fucking way. So we think that the cleaning crew from the venue before saw his backpack next to my passport, threw my shit in his bag, and then it was just gone for a couple days, and we didn't know. It was, it was sandwiched what, between what two a laptops. What a relief. Eh? Kind of, but I had canceled my passport. Ugh. So you can't. Uncancel yeah. that. You can't reinstate you know, something. Yeah, you can't you do. do that. So I have to figure out how to get a new passport, and we're going into Canada in five days. We have Vancouver. So I find an expedited passport place in Los Angeles and drive from Tempe through the night, like seven and a half hours, to get there at 9 a.m. to try and get this figured out. I get there. I don't have any paper or anything i'm like here's my old passport here's my id you told me the story yeah like well here's what you need you need seven documents at least 12 months old with your name on it so we know who you are we need your original birth certificate and other information and everything so i'm calling home hey i need all this stuff overnighted to la we have three days in southern california we're doing san diego santa Ana, and hollywood so okay we got three days to figure this out i overnight it my parents or my dad had sent a copy of the birth certificate so it wasn't the original one so i have all this information but i still can't use that so they put everything together that i did have and then just said okay go to san francisco tomorrow morning they're open 7 to 11 or something get your original birth certificate they will seal it they will overnight it to it has to go to memphis and then it has to go back to san francisco and then it has to get to me in seattle within two days holy so i didn't know if it was going to work out my girlfriend brought my birth certificate to san francisco the next morning we meet there we get it all taken care of so it's out of my hands at this point they sealed it they sent it and now i'm in san francisco on saturday sunday there's no post uh monday we're in portland tuesday we're in no saturday we're in san francisco sunday we're in portland monday we're in seattle tuesday i need to be in vancouver so that leaves they shipped it saturday it goes to memphis it comes back on monday and then tuesday I'm checking my phone, and it still says, like, on the emails, it says it hasn't shipped yet. So I don't know if it's going to be there or not. But then Tuesday morning comes around, I get an email, your passport's here, go pick it up. And it worked out. But, That's you know, so $600 stressful. later in the most stressful week of my oh life. My. And it was in the guy's bag the whole time. <laughs> yep. So now I have two passports. <laughs> One of them we can't do anything with, but, you know, it has stamps from all over the yeah, world. Yeah, you got to so keep those. Yeah, the yeah. nostalgia. I keep those things, too. Yeah. That, yeah, that was a stressful epic week. tour story. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the show in San Francisco, Gabe starts complaining like his stomach hurts. And we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll drive here. Hopefully you'll feel better by the time we get to Portland. But it just keeps getting worse and worse. So this is all in the same time. The too, same, yeah, the same day. So my passport's done with. I can't do anything else about it. Now we're driving to Portland. His stomach hurts. We end up dropping him off at the hospital when we get to Portland. 
And hours later, he's having surgery. He had his appendix removed. Holy fuck, he was good. So that's why he missed that show. Yeah, he got appendicitis. So they took it out, and we picked him up that night, and we went to Seattle. He was on stage the next day. Oh, like, sit, like sitting in a stool. He's not headbanging and everything. You know, he's like wasn't a hundred percent for a couple days like he's still not really a hundred percent but at least you know he's back on stage rocking out a warrior and, yeah metal warrior uh, that's amazing. yeah there's been it's been a little bit of drama that week <laughs> holy well i'm glad that's over with yeah, yeah. jesus let's talk about drumming which drummer has influenced your evolution as a player the most in the early days it was flow was a big part of it john longstreth nick barker Nick Barker, I didn't even get into his stuff until maybe like the last five or six years or so when I first started hearing like Demu and Old Man's Child and everything, but even after I had already been playing for so many years, after hearing his work on like In Defiance of Existence by Old Man's Child and Puritanical by Demu, that really changed how I approached writing drums too, like being very subtle about where he places things and really creative symbol work, but not being over the top. He really lets the music breathe while still being creative with what he does. Are you constantly evolving? Do you feel like you're... I, I feel like I am. Um, never satisfied with where you're at? There's yeah, always of course. Something you know, everyone's going to be their own worst critic. What, what, what is something that you, you feel that you still struggle with? My feet. Your feet? Yeah. Okay. And what about the, the speed of them? The yeah, consistency? Yeah, uh, consistency. Yeah, like speed is okay, and it's getting a lot better. I feel better as a player now than I ever have, which is always the goal. You always want to be getting better and better. Um, but yeah, it's just been a very slow improvement for my feet like it's always been my weakness my hands have always been fast and can keep up but my feet can't always keep up with my hands but the last couple years i've really been working on the the swivel technique like george Colias. um and that's been helping a lot watching george and ken Bedeen from aborted and a little machine, jesse Wheeler yeah. from black crown initiate and now it's kind of making a lot more sense to me and yeah, it's getting more and more consistent and I think a couple years ago, I probably couldn't be very consistent at 220 or 230. You know, it's like 240, 250. Even Dakota Birth has some stuff that's like 260, and I can actually, you know, feel comfortable playing it and not like I'm just butchering it. Like, oh, the hands are there, but the feet are, you know, eighth note triplets. Turn, 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 down, the, turn down the kick drum on that song, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. How, how is, you know, maybe all the, the bands that you filled in for, uh, do you think it's something that, that's helped your playing because it challenges you to play things that you normally wouldn't have even written yeah um absolutely and abysmal dawn was weird too i didn't do a lot of shows with them it was just a couple shows but the drum parts were always very different from stuff i would do and decrepit birth too like it's so chaotic even when the guitars are very melodic and easy to comprehend the drums might be doing something that doesn't necessarily make sense with the riff but still as a whole piece of music makes sense and then being on tour of course you know you're playing the same thing 30 nights in a row you get really good at those songs that you're playing but then at the same time after those 30 days are done you go back to home and i start practicing other things that i was good at a month ago and now i have to like re retrain my brain to play something that's not the set i've been playing for the last month you know when you do like a whole tour of these things uh, do you how do you learn all these freaking songs put it on a playlist and put it on repeat and that's all i listen to <laughs> okay and you you have a day job at home i assume yeah. 
and you know I just just to find the time to learn like a you know like a thirty song set sometimes you know and five bands worth of sets and they're right. all different slightly different you know makes your playing you have to adapt your playing to each one right it's also helpful like. Like you're talking about earlier, being fans of the bands that I've worked for, like Faceless was really easy for me because I've been listening to the Faceless forever. I've I know those songs like the back of my hand, even if I've never played them on drums. It's a lot easier to learn them because I'm already so familiar with the songs. Whereas Beneath, I had only heard about like two months before they contacted me, so I didn't really know the songs. Um, so that one was really challenging. I listened to those songs on repeat for probably a month straight and practicing and playing it every day and then trying to play to like the drumless tracks and making kind of my own parts to it that still sound like the record so people like if you're at the show you're not really going to notice unless Mike Heller shows up because he loves to give me shit that I'm not doing enough <laughs> <laughs> that's good no pressure right? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> talking about the faceless uh, how did that come about why was it only a few shows? They had contacted me for a few tours. Um, Summer Slaughter, a couple years ago, they had contacted me for, but I had already had other commitments with, I think, the Kennedy Vale. And then when Bryce Butler did two tours, they did a U.S. tour and a European tour, they had contacted me for that one as well. But again, it was like two weeks before, so I couldn't just leave work and leave my kid and everything. I had to takes a little bit of time to figure out you know babysitting but when they had contacted me for the two shows it was headlining spring meltdown in lake tahoe and a show in fresno just a one-off but that one was easy to say yes to because even though it was still only 13 days before the shows that they contacted me but i had already had click tracks for the songs from when they had asked me prior so i already had worked on some of the stuff um i think we did 13 songs and they were both local so i didn't have to like take a bunch of time off work and we could basically set up home base in sacramento i flew them out they stayed at my house i have a rehearsal space so we ran through the set like five times for two days and then went and did the shows but how was the vibe in that band the vibe was great um yeah no issues at all michael Uh, was okay yeah on those days and i had toured with michael in the past and we've always we've always gotten along there was no nothing weird going on and he's a cool dude and i liked hanging out with him and everything and the shows went well as far as i know because i'm playing to the album guitars if it if it wasn't great in the front <laughs> then you know that's that's not up to me <laughs> no i watched the videos it was it, was, it looked really good yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think do you think he's going to be able to get the band back where it used to be i think it'll take time um i didn't see them on this last tour i had seen mixed reviews about it um whether or not they're playing great or butchering songs or whatever um i felt really good when we played together i know he he didn't feel great the second day um so i'm not sure exactly what it is you know i didn't ask him about his issues and what he's going through and everything i know there has been issues um but, you know, I can only hope for the best because as a fan of the Faceless, I would love to see them Fucking back on right, their man. A-game yeah. like when they were, you know, yeah, top ancient, dogs. Ancient covenants, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 2010 I, and seeing the Faceless touring then, like they were they were unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that whole summer slaughter yeah, that I did with them, they're amazing. And he just spent the whole time backstage writing yeah. that album. 
you know, which came when it came out, it was like, what is this? It's amazing. I, I you know, I, I don't know what's going on in his life. I read all the internet garbage. And if that's true, I, I, I hope... He's an easy target now because I so much has happened. That, you know, people around him that make him get help. Because, you know, we need more faceless music. The last album was okay, but it wasn't my favorite, I would say, out of their whole catalog. Yeah, I liked... Yeah, Ancient Covenant and Autotheism are the two for me. I liked Autotheism. It was like uh, Devin Townsend meets Opeth type sort of worship, but I like that. So I was I was super into that when it came out. Right. Yeah. As as Tech Death was becoming more and more popular, it came out at like a, a very crucial time for the the scene. I feel like. Who do you think is uh, the next up and coming drummers in our scene now? The next like. You know, extreme. Yeah, drummers. I think Bryce Butler is great. He did the Faceless, and Cody, who just did the Faceless, uh, he's playing with Enemis. His his playing is great. Jesse Beeler is a personal favorite of mine. He did Black Crown Initiate, but I don't know if he's. I don't think he's. I'm sure he's still playing, but I don't think he has plans to tour anymore. Okay, he'll be a studio um, guy. Matthew Palazzo, with he was in the Zenith Passage on that tour that we did. The, yeah, the yeah. Devastation. There he was. He's on great. And then let's just talk about Bryce Bryce Butler. How many bands is this kid in? I don't know how he does. He's in more <laughs> bands than you. He's probably in three times as many bands as I. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I don't know. He did uh, a couple shows lately. One was I think. I think it was a six-band package, and he played drums for every single band. No way. Six six sets in a row that he played. Well, at least there was no drum change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Made it easy. The promoter was happy. Yeah. And the sound guy. But I think his, he has another show coming up off. where he's doing, like, four bands in one night. I don't know how he has the the time to learn all the songs, the, the brain capacity to hold all the songs, and the stamina to play that many songs in a row. That guy's got a totally infectious laugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can I can still hear it ringing in my head right now. <laughs> when when he was on Devastation with us, he was playing with Seeker, and you know Seeker's not the most technical band, so I didn't know that this kid had all these chops. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, a lot of cymbals and bells and whistles, like splashes and stuff. He does cool cymbal work. Let's talk about a dream tour for you. You know, you book your own tour, three band package, Kennedy Vale. Two other bands. What would be that tour for you? The Kennedy Vale, Behemoth, and Misery Index. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. it's a very weird bill, but I, th- <laughs> I think it could work <laughs> for you as a fan and for yeah, you, yeah. For you um, as like. A I just want to watch aspect. Adam Jarvis play drums every night. That dude's there you a go. fucking yeah. monster. Yeah. Behemoth is on my list as well. Yeah, I definitely. I love did to do, do a tour. one tour with Behemoth when I was doing the Abbott thing. We toured Europe, so that was eleven shows with those guys. But I was like kind of awestruck the whole time like you know i want to go over there and hang out with those guys but what am i gonna say say. (laughs) (laughs) so you played for abbott as well how long did that go on for uh we did 50 shows we did a european tour it was behemoth abbott entombed and inquisition that's a great line headline the decibel tour in february of 2016 with High on Fire, Skeleton Witch, and Tribulation. That's also a great tour. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know Tribulation before that, but I've been hooked on the band ever since. They're super fun to watch. We shared a bus with them. They're really cool guys, and I'm just a huge fan of their music now. How much of the Abbott that we see 
you know, in the social medias. Oh, when, oh when like, he's, like when interviews he's, and stuff? Yeah, Any interview how much of you've that ever is seen true. of Abbott, that's how he is all the time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's super entertaining. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> super fun to tour with, and... He just, he loves music and he loves talking and telling stories and he has a million stories to tell and they're all more entertaining than the last. So he was, he was fun to be on the road with until it's 6am and you want to go to sleep and he says, wait, one more Kiss video, one more Eric Carr drum solo. (laughs) And he just goes off about like Kiss and you'll be up all night watching Kiss videos with the guy. What keeps you sane on tour? Beer. <laughs> as, he, as he casually glances down towards his half-filled IPA yeah. glass. Yeah. I, uh, I try to call home often and talk to family and loved ones and my son and everything. I'm not as good about it. And, you know, being in Canada, I can't really do anything because my phone doesn't work here. I find um, it hard being on tour and, you know, communicating back home. I, it makes me miss it more more yeah yeah Yeah, especially like if you're playing your hometown on tour and then you still have a ways to go i remember um a couple months after my son was born i was with to grab a birth for our first tours that my first tours that i did with them we did a six feet under tour and then i was home for about a week and a half two weeks and then we did another two or three weeks in europe so that was my first like long tour and it was right after my son was born so like the first tour was okay i felt fine i didn't have wasn't homesick or anything and then i'm home for a couple days and then leave again and then that second tour after i left again i was like this fucking sucks i want to be home with my kid i'm probably gonna turn those early early months of a baby though so much changes so fast that you end up missing like a huge chunk of their development you know Mm -hmm. yeah now he's he just started second grade a couple weeks ago and that's amazing that's crazy yeah he uh understands it a little more now like oh my dad's on tour he's playing drums for does he think it's whoever it is i think it's cool he doesn't yeah yeah he likes it and you know he plays a little bit too he he doesn't really let me teach him anything like he'll sit behind the drum set and play and i'll be like hey let me show you a paradiddle let me show you a rock beat and he'll say no i just want to i want to play my own thing which is also good because you know you have your own ear for it and you're gonna do what's what you think sounds good you know that's good. That's good. He's got a hard head. Yeah. He's going to learn him. You know, maybe when he gets older, he'll he'll open up more yeah. to, to but, some direction. Yeah. But he's very good with uh, memorizing things. Like, you turn on the radio in the car, and he'll sing whatever song oh, yeah. comes on. Like, he memorizes lyrics like it's nothing. See, I feel like I used to be like that, but now I can't remember lyrics for the life of me. And me, like, being into metal, no offense, I don't care what you're talking about. <laughs> I care how you say it. I want the tone. Is the tone yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Cryptopsy lyrics are, but, you know, it sounds cool. Cold, hay, warm blood. That's it. Just song titles. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you would give to someone starting the, a band today? Um, take your time. Um, there's no rush to get on stage. If you feel unprepared, um, keep practicing. Stay, stay in the garage. Stay in your rehearsal spot. Wait until you have all the kinks hammered down and... I don't know. That's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess, because I would also encourage you to go get out and get on stage and get in front of people because you're going to learn a lot there, too. Like, you can only learn so much before you ever get on stage because then that's a whole other ballpark of things that you need to learn, like loading in, loading out, being punctual, getting off stage on time, not breaking down your drum set on stage, you know. Are you listening? Are you listening, children? (laughs) You don't say hi to your friends before your freaking gear's off stage. (laughs) Completely agree. What is the best piece of advice that you received from someone, you know, with more experience than you? I'm not sure. There was uh, John Longstreth recently did an interview that I liked a lot. Um, 
And he said, speed is a byproduct of control. Mm, and that kind of yeah, like resonated with me a lot. You know, you, you don't need to try and be the fastest that you can be all the time without being having control over what you're doing. Because if you can control 100% what your limbs are doing, then that's when you can, you know, start going faster and faster and still being consistent with what you're doing. And have dynamics yeah. throughout it, too. Yeah. yeah so that's I've, very interesting. I've kind of, that's stuck in my head, and I've been really focused on that the last year or so. Like, instead of, you know, I'm going to try to hit 290 today. Like, how about I do... To 40 but I do it perfect for five minutes you know yeah 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 and that's that's actually really good that yeah what about um, the accomplishment that you're most proud of I would say the uh, the last the Kennedy Vale record Imperium I think I'm really proud of what we did with that there's a couple parts in there that I would have loved to gone back and change but we kind of we put a strict time restraint on us we were we had two or three songs written and that was in like july or august and then we booked studio days so like all right december Just we're to push in the studio like wow. we have to get this record done and it came together a lot better than i expected it to given the circumstances even like the day before we went in to record guitar we still needed like another song and a half so it's like okay we have a couple riffs what do we do so like we're up all night casey records a couple riffs and then i take those riffs and just kind of Structure chop it. them up and structure it and move it around and it ended up being like one of my favorite songs on the record it's funny how that happens yeah. sometimes the ones that you're least prepared with. on the new Cryptopsy tour uh, the fourth track uh, called uh, The Way of the Flesh it was the one that we were all like you know not totally finished you know we never got like a like a scratch track that was complete with like nice good sounding good consistent guitar sounds it was like weird guitar sounds throughout it chris didn't have time and it's it's one of my favorite tracks and like i had like lyrics i knew what i wanted to do but i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do throughout the whole thing and it's one of my favorites yeah it's weird how that happens maybe it's because you, you didn't overanalyze it sometimes yeah yeah i just kind of roll with it well i'm out of time this is what it is yeah. i know oh i actually like that <laughs> what about your your uh, misstep that you wish you could take back in your in your career I guess just being more prepared when I go on tour with a new band. Um, I remember the first Abbott show was an absolute train wreck. Um, not solely because I wasn't prepared enough. Like, we rehearsed for three weeks. We had a lot of time to work on everything. But it was a... There was a lot of issues that show. The Abbott's guitar cable was bad, so every couple notes would be there, and then the next Cutting notes out. would be oh. gone. I think my drum monitor was blown, so the notes that I did hear were just fuzz. And Abbott hadn't played a show in a couple years, and he put on his makeup a couple hours before the show, and then went to the bar down the street. Oh, so okay. all the fans yeah. see. What what show was this? This was the CD release in London. Okay, so it was probably I think there was about two thousand people there. Okay, okay. And so he goes to the bar, and I'm not really sure if I'm supposed to talk about this, but whatever. <laughs> so he goes to the bar, and then comes back completely blacked out, like fifteen shots of vodka later. Like I remember, he was in the green room, like. He and Tom are joking around and, like, you know, they're just drunk and having a good time, like, throwing bottles. Hold on. Did he go to the bar in his makeup? Yes. <laughs> so that's that's why. Like, he went to the bar in his makeup before the show. So people are at the bar waiting for the show, and they're like, Buy holy shit, drinks. it's Abbott. Let's okay. take shots. So he comes back hammered. Remember, the, the manager locked herself in the green room bathroom. She's crying in there. They're fucking drunk and throwing shit around. Like, 
I walk into this because my brother lived in London at the time. So I went and had dinner with my brother. I come back to this. I'm like, what the fuck is what, going what, on? What did I get myself <laughs> into? Yeah. So, yeah. So we're playing the show. The sound is fucked. I can't hear anything. He's drunk. His cable's fucked. And we train wreck like three songs. Oh. Like, like stop in the middle of these songs. And it's like immortal songs that have been played for 20 years. And the new ABBA songs. In London. London's huge. In, in London, the, the, the yeah. The O2 Forum, London. this yeah, yeah. gorgeous venue. And the place is packed. There's like 2,000 plus people there. And that was the one night where I was like, I'm so glad I'm wearing a mask. Nobody knows who the fuck I am. Except Absolutely. for like my brother's yeah. here. <laughs> and the opening band. So we have the Black Dolly Murder opening for us, which is like one of my favorite bands. Alan's behind me filming. Benighted is opening for us. The drummer of Benighted wrote the drums on the Abbott record, so he's sitting behind me watching me butcher his songs. And then Primordial. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Wow. And yeah, that was just a bad night. And then there was one redeeming thing when we went to the airport after the show. Uh, a guy that was at the show came up and was like, Hey, saw you guys tonight. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> But he's like, I'll be at the show tomorrow night. And I'm like, oh, cool. There's at least one person that saw that shit show is going to be at the next show and, and, and redeem we'll ourselves. So I went like played the show. I went and found the guy after the show and he was all like excited. He was like, that was much better. <laughs> so, so being more prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Preparation for sure. Um, and now I think that was like the last time I had stage fright. Like even going out with the faceless or beneath and power glove and everything like i haven't felt nervous before a show since then and i think it was just because like i never expected to even meet the guy let alone play for him and that's it was a huge game huge it's show a huge and we're like about to meet up with behemoth and everything so that was uh that was pretty nerve-wracking but after that first show it was everything was fine like that was the only bad show why no more are you not drumming for abbott anymore i guess you could say personal differences um so I did the two tours, and after the tours, Tom and I kind of got into it a little bit, but now he's not Tom being Tom is king of hell. He was with Gorgoroth. He's a bass player. Okay. So yeah, now that he's not in the band anymore, I'm kind of like, hey, can I get my job back? <laughs> um, well, you, never, you never know what's going to happen yeah, in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, always, I, I always, always keep doors open. Again. He, yeah. was, he was fun to tour with. I think a Cryptopsy Abbott tour would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. A little genre crossing, but not too, not too far apart. No, it's still metal. Do you have any uh, guilty pleasure music vices that you're willing to share? Not really. I kind of like everything. Um, I was checking out the new Eminem the other day. I thought it was all right. So was I, yeah. And then I was like, my kid's awake and I can't have this playing anymore because yeah. it's quite vulgar. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and clear Eminem. vulgar. So take that, you mumble fucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still, you know, the top, the top dogs in rap, which is like Eminem and Tech 9 The guys that really know how to tell a story with words, you know, a lot of the modern rap is not so much like that like cars and shoes and money and bitches and bang bang yeah whatever i would rather i would rather hear a story you know who's the next big metal band in your opinion coming up i think at may this okay. band they opened us for us in uh kansas city at the riot room i th I, I listened to their, their release they're from kansas city right yeah yeah, yeah they're yeah. from there and they i had listened to a couple of their songs they just put a new record out and the song sounded great, but I wasn't really sure what to expect live. But they were—they oh, sounded yeah? massive. I really like that new record. Yeah, they were. I really feel like they've opened for Cryptopsy at, at the Riot. Probably room, yeah. uh, on one of those runs that I've done through. Yeah, them. they were great. They're very like 
almost like a mix between archaic and the zenith passage yeah, but yeah. really tight instruments and good song yeah, they always play really yeah. well yeah. shout out to the riot room the owner can't remember his name but uh you're freaking awesome freaking awesome and there's excellent excellent beer at the riot room what is your favorite album of the moment right now probably the killing gods by misery index yeah, it's just pure aggression front to back and i know like Adam Jarvis, I think, had a big part in that record. I think he took a lot of the riffs and kind of like I did with Imperium, um, kind of rearranged everything and made it sound how it is. And fluid. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything you want to shout out? Stuff coming up? Bloodletting tour with Decrepit Birth. I'll be with Decrepit Birth, co-headlining with Arsis, Internal Bleeding, um, Within Destruction, Angel Maker, and Pyrexia. So we'll be coming back through here. That starts October 10th and runs through November 11th. I know we'll be in Ottawa on Halloween. You're coming through here. And we'll be in Montreal. 27th, I want to say. Okay, a couple days before that then. Well, thanks for taking the time being on Vox and Hops. Yep, thanks for having me. And uh, I wish you a great show with Power Glove tonight. Thank you so much. Blast through under the sea for me. Oh, yeah. I'll add (laughs) an extra blast beat. (laughs) I'm I'm absolutely stoked to have met up with you. Thanks for taking the time. Cool. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Hey, thank you all for checking out Vox and Hops number eight. Gabe, you, you shared some great stories. You, you were extremely forthcoming. You held nothing back. I love it. I love it. I love it. So happy to sit down with you. You know, you meet these people on tour. You, you, you know, get to chit chat here and there in the venues, but you never really get to know people on tour the way I have the chance to when I meet them on for the interviews at Vox and Hops. We were sitting at Saint-Buc, which is one of Montreal's best brew pubs. They have just such a wide variety of delicious beer. And uh, I, I, anytime that I'm downtown, I always go to the same book. They, they just have the best beers. Uh, the staff is friendly. It was just so amazing to sit down with Gabe, get to uh, pick his brain. You know, we, we did it in the afternoon before he played the set with uh, Power Glove that night. Next up on the on the podcast, episode nine, I sit down with Pat Loisel, the guitarist and vocalist of Augury. I had such an amazing conversation for you guys. I'm so excited to share this with you. We talk about Pat growing up with Asperger's in an era when these diagnoses did not exist. His unbelievable collection of over 200 tarantulas. I swear to God, this guy has 200 tarantulas in his basement in this little tiny room. They're all in separate aquariums. They're, it's, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily into spiders, but, you know, I went in there and I checked them all up and they were very interesting and very beautiful, but I, you know, was happy to leave that room and watch him lock that door. He also told me about how most of the material that he writes with Augury right now is stuff that he's written back in the 80s. And he has all this material in his mind. He would bring it to a band. The band would say, no, that's not right. So we just put it in the vault. And then all of a sudden, you know, he shows up and he's writing all this Augury material. He's found bandmates that can collaborate with that are open to his extreme vampire music, as his old bandmates would call it. And he pulls out all this stuff. Super great conversation. Really stoked to share it with all you guys and girls. All of that is up next on episode nine of Vox and Hops. As always, if you have any suggestions, uh, recommendations of who I should interview, what beers I should share with people, Please send me emails at matt at voxandhops.com. All the best. Thank you. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. 
It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon. From Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.